The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Scripture reading this morning is from Leviticus 11. It's, if you're using the Bible underneath uh, your chair, it starts on page 83. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 11 and read through 23, and then we're going to turn the page and read 44 through 47. Leviticus 11, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Now go with me to verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Meredith. Um, So I'm going to invite Chance Newingham to come up. Chance is actually going to be 
uh, preaching today as well um, through this text, and I'd love to pray for him before he gets going. Um, Father, I just thank you for chance, and I just ask right now, would you send your spirit here to teach us through him? God, would you give us clear minds and an open heart? Would you make us holy, and would he participate through his part in your sovereign design to grow us? Give us laser eyes right now just to focus on your word, and we bind the enemy from this place. Bless and use this man in your name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Um, Leviticus 11, wild stuff, right? Any honest to goodness, I, wa I want to know, anybody out there as you're listening to Meredith or as you read last night, you're like, oh boy. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and I'm supposed to talk to you about it. So I want to pray to begin, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump into this and do our best to make sense of this ancient writing. God, we ask your blessing now as we come to your word. It's a passage that some may say is not applicable to us today, but I would argue the exact opposite. I would argue that these words written thousands of years ago are direct and pointed precisely for us. God, I pray that you would help us to see that. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get to the, the text of Leviticus 11, I want to do just a real quick review, all right? So in the first 10 chapters of Leviticus, we learned how the Lord was dwelling with the Israelites. God was with His people, right? And we also learned what God required of His people. The Israelites needed to know how to live so that they would not disrespect God or His dwelling place. I think that fairly sums up where we've been thus far. And it was the priests who were responsible for teaching the people how to live. And their approach came down to really two words, clean and unclean. The priests were to teach the people how to distinguish between what was clean and what was ritually unclean. And in our chapter for this morning, Leviticus 11, the people were learning this same idea, clean and unclean, but specifically as it related to creatures, as it related to all of the animals that God had made. They were told what they could eat and what they could not eat, clean creatures they could consume and unclean creatures they could not. And then Leviticus 11, our text of this morning, closes out with some clean, unclean imagery concerning clothing, utensils, and really just daily life. And as you heard when Meredith read, there are some pretty strict rules given in Leviticus 11. But what's awesome to me is this, in addition to God giving these strict rules, we also see God giving a remedy for the inevitable time whenever His people could not meet those strict commands. I love that. How awesome is that? How caring is that? How compassionate is that? God says, you know what, here are the rules that you must observe. And then He says, but I know you're fallen, and I've made a way for you to make yourself right for those times that you fail. I love that. So the first thing I want to do this morning is try and break this chapter down into bite-sized pieces. We're not going to reread all of the, the text. Rather, I've created a, a little chart that I think is, is kind of helpful. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you're like me, it's helpful to have a confusing text like this visually represented. The, this works for me. This is how I learned. So 
First, we're going to talk about all the clean creatures, the stuff that the Israelites could eat. That's going to be the middle row in the, the chart. And then we're going to talk about unclean creatures, those things that they could not eat. That's going to be the bottom row in the chart. So hopefully you can see that, okay? So all creatures in the text that we looked at this morning, they're separated into three categories, land creatures, water creatures, and sky creatures. And the Israelites could eat any creatures in these categories and remain ritually clean so long as, when it came to creatures of the land, they had a divided hoof and they chewed the cud. When it came to creatures of the waters, they could eat them and be clean so long as that creature had fins or scales. And finally, they could eat creatures of the sky, specifically insects, so long as they walked on all fours but had jointed legs above their feet with which to hop. I like that. I don't know why. I like that detail is there. So that row summarizes clean creatures, right? Creatures that God's people could eat and remain ritually pure. What about the no-nos? What about the things that they could not eat? Well, that's where the bottom row comes into play. They could not eat any creatures from the land that did not have a completely divided hoof or did not chew the cud. You, you see what's going on here, right? It's basically the inverse of the line before. When it came to creatures of the water, if they didn't have fins or scales, then they were off limits. And finally, creatures of the air, there, there was a whole long list of birds that they couldn't eat, bats that they couldn't eat, and some winged insects that did not have joints above the leg with which to hop. This sounds like a really good dinner menu, don't you think? Delicious, right? I don't like Core Life Eatery. I imagine they serve stuff like this at, at Core Life Eatery. So the, these verses here, they have the potential to be complicated, and some might even argue boring. Here's what we know, though, okay? Here, here's a brief summary. Some stuff was okay for them to eat, and some stuff was not okay for them to eat. If they ate the clean stuff, they were good. If they ate the unclean stuff, they were ritually unclean. So verses 2 through 22 talk about eating. In the next section, verses 24 through 31, it's not about eating. It's about touching or carrying. Now, I have a chart to go along with this, but I, I don't want to overwhelm you this morning. And so I posted that on Slack last night. You can go ahead and, and check it out later today. Again, that section, verses 24 through 31, talk about touching or carrying. Here's a brief summary, though. If you touched an unclean dead creature from the land, the remedy was to wait until evening. You just had to sit and do nothing until evening. Conversely, if you carried, because carrying is, is different than just touching, if you carried an unclean dead creature from the land, your remedy was to wash your clothes and sit until evening. So you had to do laundry and sit in time out, okay? What about verses 32 through 39? In these verses in Leviticus, it talks about what happens when your stuff, not your body, not your clothes, but your possessions, came into contact with an unclean dead creature. Again, I've created a chart for this. I loaded it up on Slack. You can go and check that out later today. Real quick, though, what sort of stuff is talked about in that section? Furniture, clothing, cooking utensils, cisterns, seeds, ovens, and more. And just to give you a glimpse, if one of those objects was to be touched by an unclean dead creature, there was a remedy. Items that were easily replaceable, they were to be destroyed. And items that were hard to be replaced simply had to be washed and had to sit until evening. 
Let me give you a couple examples from the text. So if your clothes, back in the days of Leviticus, came into contact with an unclean dead creature, all you had to do was wash that article of clothing and then use it until the evening. Think about it. Clothes were pretty expensive back then. You, you couldn't run to Walmart and get a T-shirt for a dollar. Clothes were expensive and they were hard to make. So God provided a way for His people to not have to destroy something that was very valuable. Conversely, though, if you had a clay pot or a clay bowl that touched something that was unclean, you had to break it to pieces. And you think, well, that's crazy. Pottery was everywhere back then. And items like that were easy to replace and they were very, very cheap. To me, what's super cool about this is that in God, when He made all of these rules, He was sensitive to the realities of daily life. He cared about His people. He allowed the Israelites to keep those things that were most time-consuming and most valuable. He says, your clothing, just wash it. It's okay. And then when it came to items that were valuable to the community, He said, no, you don't have to destroy that. That water well that everybody drinks from, no, don't, don't destroy that. I love how even in God's regulations, He's caring for His people. You can see His grace in what He commands. So at this point, we may not understand everything about the text, all of the ins, all of the outs, but what we can say is this. We have a basic grasp of what's going on here. All of these regulations combined underscored the need for ritual purity. That's what this comes down to, right? Clean and unclean. God says, I am with you now. I will remain with you. You need to be clean to be in my presence. Here's the list of do's and here's the list of don'ts. Now, if our time were unlimited, I'd like to dive into some of the questions that are really interesting to me. For example, I want to know what's the difference between parts of the hoof and cloven-footed? What is choose the cud? What are these swarming creatures talked about in, in verse 10? While it would be fun to answer these questions, the more I studied this chapter, the, the more I realized I, I don't think they're all that important. There is, however, one big question that I think that we need to, to dwell on for just a little bit, and, and you've probably thought of it already. Why? And then various forms of that question. Why these animals? Why were some clean and some unclean? I thought everything that God made was good. And, and why are the clean animals the clean animals? Why aren't some of the unclean animals on the clean list and, and vice versa? You know, I love catfish. I couldn't eat catfish if I lived back then. No more catfish fritters. Like, what's going on, Lord? Why? Well, here's what I've come to conclude. While these various questions of why may be the questions that we are very interested in, they're probably the questions that are most irrelevant. They are probably the questions in which the answers really don't matter. Nevertheless, because we're curious human beings, I'm going to give you just a couple of the options that are out there. These are what the smart people scholars say and answer to the why, and then I'm going to tell you why those answers are not important, okay? First one is this. It's called a hygienic explanation. So in this example, people believe that some creatures were classified as unclean because they could cause an illness if you ate them. This makes sense, right? You eat undercooked pork, you're probably going to get sick. Here's the deal, though. Some of the animals that are considered clean, if you eat them, you could also get sick. 
like cows, right? You eat undercooked beef, you could get salmonella. So to me, this hygienic explanation, it doesn't totally hold up. Second popular one is this. It's called a cultic explanation. So this belief says that some creatures were unclean because they were used by godless pagan people or they represented pagan gods. So godless pagan people would use them in rituals and things. Therefore, God said, they use those animals. You stay away from those animals. That one kind of makes some sense, right? Here's the deal, though. There are pure creatures on Israelites' list, clean creatures that they could eat that were used by pagan cultures outside of their own. So to me, that one kind of breaks down, right? doesn't hold water. Third one is this. To me, this is the, uh, the funniest one. This is a moral symbolic explanation. So this one says that the behavior of animals symbolically represents good or evil. Let me, let me give you an example. An animal that chews the cud is supposedly symbolic of a person like meditating on the law of God. Seems like stretch, maybe. All right? Conversely, the dirty habits of pigs rolling around in their own whatever is like the filth of sin. Okay, maybe, I get that. I, 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 I like what one commentator said. He said this, at best, this explanation is partial. At worst, it's whimsical and capricious. This is like smart commentators way above us, like slapping each other, right? Insulting. He's like, your idea, Mr. Other Commentary Writer, is whimsical and capricious. These are some of the more popular ideas. And there are others. I'm not going to get to those. So much time has been spent trying to figure out the why, right? Why these creatures? Why those? And what we have are guesses at best. Here's what I think it comes down to, okay? To me, Leviticus 11 can be summarized in this way. I think obsessing over these questions misses the point. The what and the why, they don't matter. The who is what matters. Who gave the command? God gave the command. And he is to be obeyed. What I think we're witnessing here is a grand and giant object lesson. That's what I think God was doing for his people. I wonder if God could have flip-flopped the clean and the unclean animals right at the end. And he would have been like, Israelites, I need you to eat a bunch of mole rats and giant lizards, okay? This is your primary diet. Don't eat cows or deer, though. Because what matters is doing what God told you to do. He's the one who's holy, right? He gets to define holiness. I think this chapter is all about obedience. And really, it's a pretty smart idea for God to use food as an object lesson because everybody's got to what? Everybody's got to eat. Mealtime, it's a time of family sharing and fellowship. The Israelites didn't have a, a TV in their kitchen or a radio that they could flip the ball game on and listen to while they're eating. Mealtime was and is one of the times where bonds are formed. Mealtimes bring people together. And with every bite that they would have put in their mouth, they would have been thinking about obedience. God, and they would have thought it to themselves, probably talked about it at the dinner table. God told us that this is a clean food. And then they eat it. And they're probably also thinking about the unclean foods that they saw hanging in the market earlier that day. And they're thinking, my God has said that that is detestable to me. I shall not eat that. 
I will eat what he has said is clean. I think these dietary laws tested their obedience. I mean, you think about the power that food has in your life, right? Things that you've said, oh, I don't feel very well when I eat that thing, but man, I love that thing. Food has power. God says, these things are clean. Eat these and these alone. One commentator said this. He said, quote, in following these dietary laws from Leviticus 11, the Israelites obeyed God's instructions several times each day, developing deep in their consciousness an attitude of obedience to God. The fact that all the people observed these laws at every meal together was a mighty force of solidarity, uniting the people as God's special treasure. So you think about it, they're sitting down at the meal table, eating together, worshiping God by eating what is clean, and they're all doing it together. It's almost like it'd be kind of awkward to get food in your mouth, but like that they're linking arms together, right? That they're doing this as one because God called them to do it. Again, I think this chapter is a giant and grand object lesson. The object was food, the lesson was obedience, and the result was ritual cleanliness and fellowship with God. There's still a couple verses left that I want to look at. Look at verses 44 and 45 again. Verse 44 reads, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming things that crawl on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. See, these verses right here, they are the the pinnacle of the chapter and really, I think, the theme of Leviticus. The Israelites were to be holy because God is holy. God's people are to be a reflection of who He is, and He is holy, so we are called to be holy. This is the the point in the sermon where we we pivot and and begin to talk about application. And so here's what I want you to do this week, okay? I'm encouraging everybody here to try out what I'm calling the Leviticus 11 lifestyle diet, okay? You, You can eat nothing that swarms except locusts. You can eat all the locusts that you want. If you have pork in your house, which you shouldn't because it's unclean, if you do and it touches your stove, you got to smash that puppy with a sledgehammer right there in the kitchen, okay? Giant, grand object lesson. I'm I'm kidding. I don't want to get any phone calls or texts that I have to pay for a stove. Thankfully, what we learn in Acts 10 is that everything that the Lord has made is clean, and therefore we are under no obligation to follow Leviticus 11. That's good news, right? I love bacon. What are we to do, though? This is God's Word. It is inspired and authoritative. What do we do, then, with Leviticus 11? Is it pointless? I don't think so. Are we in need of taking multiple showers a day? Should we be eating great lizards and mole rats? No. I think this chapter fits into our life in this way. Like the Israelites in Leviticus 11, we must have a recognition of who God is and what He has done for us. And we must therefore be obedient to His commands. That's what we take from Leviticus 11 and we lay on our lives. We must have a recognition of who God is and what He has done for us, salvation, and our response is to be obedient to His commands.
Look at verse 45 again in Leviticus 11. Did you see that there was a sequence happening there? Look at verse 45. It reads this way. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I brought you up. I saved you. Why? To be your God. What's your response to that? The next sentence. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We find this same sequence in the New Testament, but it's better because it's with Jesus under the new covenant. Here's my main idea for the morning. Our holy God through Christ offers freedom from slavery to sin and death. In response, we are to worship God and imitate him by living holy lives. And to back that up, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, here's where we're called to be obedient, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed by Jesus from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, we take home from that the idea that Jesus saves us. Our imperfect works, they don't save us. We are unclean. We are impure. He, Christ, though, was perfect and totally pure. He was utterly clean. And it's because of his perfection and his sacrifice that we can be pardoned from our sin. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees Jesus' perfection. We are seen as clean because he was sacrificed on our behalf. And when we are given that salvation, then there is an immediate required response on our parts. We are to live differently. We have been remade. We have been born again. We are then to live in a different way. What's that look like? The world hates. We love. The world does evil. We do good. The world seeks self first. We seek kingdom first. The world blames. We forgive. The world adores self, we die to self. The world stores up treasure, we give away treasure. In Jesus and through Jesus, we are called to live out this new identity because we've been reborn. We are to be holy for our Father is holy. I do want to remind you, though, you're going to mess up. You're not going to be perfect. There will be many, many instances where you are faced with doing what is right and doing what is wrong, and you're going to choose to do what is wrong. And in those moments, I'm saying don't despair. Remember 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. They read this way. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Another way of saying it is be holy. Listen, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your word. It's, it's so invigorating when we can read a, a text like this and we think, wow, I have no idea what's going on there. And then through a little bit of study and through prayer, we can see that it is directly applicable to our lives. God, may we be people who are holy because you are holy. May we strive for that. But may we also remember that we are fallen. Christ is our substitute and he is our advocate. In Jesus' name we pray.